Um, we are uh, again back in Matthew chapter five today. Um, it's one of the one of the neat things about about really diving deep in, in one passage is that there's no guessing each week where we're going to be at. Um, you just advance one one chapter or one verse, and and we're there. And so we're going to be uh, looking at verse six today. Um, and and real quickly, because I think most of us um, are pretty aware of of kind of what's come before us, but just kind of walking through real quickly. Um, this is uh, Matthew chapter 5 starts the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus in the Beatitudes is, is talking about these, these inward uh, perspectives that we have um, that start on the inside and, and work to the outside. And so he started out by talking about poor in spirit. Those are that are just spiritually bankrupt, right? Those are the ones, those that acknowledge that I bring nothing to the table and anything good in me is, is, is from God. Um, those people are the ones that become the citizens of, of the kingdom, right? Those are the ones that become um, heirs to the kingdom. Uh, and then building on that, once we've identified our spiritual brokenness, that should lead us to a place of mourning, right? Over that brokenness in our lives, we should come to a place. Mourning is really the, the action part of that, right? It, it should move us to a place of repentance. And then as we are people that are broken, that have been moved to repentance, then as we interact with the world around us, it should create this attitude of meekness, of gentleness, um, of understanding that, yes, there, is, there, there are these things that well up within me, but yet I can control those. There's control because I realize who I am uh, and what God has done for me. And now, and now in verse 6, Jesus moves on. Uh, from there to pronounce this next blessing. And he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Right? Once we get to a place where we can learn to start to control some of those urges and some of the, that, that um, inward uh, pride and arrogance and emotion, all of that stuff, when we learn to start to control that, now he kind of flips it in the direction of, okay, we're not just dealing with that stuff, but what should we be putting our energy and our efforts toward. And so he moves in this direction of those that would hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, and and as, we, as we look at hungering and thirsting for righteousness, um, one thing I think will become very apparent to us is that we, we don't have, um, for most of us, we don't have a good frame of, of context to understand hungering and thirsting. Um, you know, and I, and I say that from, from my, my own experience in life. I don't know that I've ever been in a place where I've truly ever really been hungry or thirsty. Um, I know I've had moments in my life that I've been like, man, I could, I could use a meal right now or my stomach's grumbling. Um, but I believe in the context and in, 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 in the, in the people that Jesus was, was talking to and that were gathered there. Remember, these were kind of the outcasts of society. And, and, and no doubt, wherever Jesus went, right, people would gather because of the, the miracles and the things that he was doing. And so there's no doubt that there were probably people in that audience um, who had truly hungered and truly thirst, right, who, who didn't even have access maybe to food or to water. And, and I think we have a hard time of, of identifying that emotion because I think for most of us, we, we've never probably truly experienced hunger and thirst in our life. Um, you know, uh, maybe some of you guys have been in a situation where food hasn't been available, water hasn't been available. Um, the closest that I could think of in my life, and I, I've shared this story a few times, 
um, with, with a few different people. But um, there was a there was a point that we were uh, in Georgia kayaking one time, and I, our my kayak got stuck out on a, the the tide went out, and I got stuck on a sand barge. And so what we thought was going to be a forty five minute kayak, see the dolphins, all that sort of stuff, turned into about a two and a half hour out in the baking sun with no water um, kind of experience, right? And I remember when we, we finally got back on land, and uh, it was kind of funny. I was, I was in this phase of life. I was doing this, uh, this juice fast thing, right? And so I was doing like a 40-some-day juice fast, which uh, was pretty much the definition of insanity. But um, anyway, I remember like we got back, and we got to, this, uh, to, the, to the table, and Nicole and them had got back before we did, and so they had already ordered some stuff. And um, so I got the biggest glass of water that I could find, right? And I'm just, I'm just chugging this glass of water, and they had ordered fries. And in that moment, I didn't care about the juice fast. I didn't care about any of that stuff, right? I was just as fast as I could get it in, right? And, and that probably wasn't even close to what some people have experienced when it's come to hunger in their life. Um, but that same urge, that same desire like we have when, when there's a lack of food, when we, when we don't have what we need, is, is now what Jesus is saying that we should long for, that we should desire when it comes to what he's going to say is righteousness. We should have this, this longing and this desire, uh, this hunger for righteousness. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 2 and 3, it's, it says, Peter, Peter's writing about this, um, and he said, Like newborn infants long for, the, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, right? Um, and one thing I know about, about infants uh, in just in our phase of life is that when they're hungry and they have a longing for something, especially for something they need like milk, right? They're going to make that need known, right? It's, they're not going to sit quietly and just say, Mama, Daddy, can I have some milk, please, right? They're going to scream at the top of their lungs. They're going to start like flipping out. Um, and, and, and they're going to desire, they're going to have a yearning for that. They're going to have a strong desire for that. And, and that's what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that we should have a strong desire, a strong affection for righteousness, to know God, to engage with him. And as we look at that, that, that idea of hungering, thirsting, I think that idea or that word of desire really, really plays in well with this, right? That we should have a, that we should have a desire we should have a desire, an urge, a longing, a strong affection for what we're going to talk about in a minute about righteousness. Um, and, and one of the problems that we have a lot of times is that we, we've said historically in Christianity a lot of times that desire is a bad thing, right? We, we look at desire and having desire for something and we say, man, that's a, that's a bad thing, right? Because we, we only put it in the context of these worldly desires, these fleshly desires, um, but, but what we have to acknowledge is that desire is neither evil or, or good. It's, it's, it's an emotion. It's an action. It's the direction in which we take it. And so just like it's, it's, it's sinful for us to desire uh, those things of the flesh that Paul talks about in Romans 8, um, it's, it's, it's wrong for us to desire those, those things. In the same way, it's good for us to desire these spiritually rich things that are going to increase and grow um, our affection and our love for God. We need to have a strong desire for God. Um, I feel like as, as David, as, as he's writing in the Psalms over and over again, uh, as we read some of these Psalms, we just hear the desire that he has um, to spend time to know God, to grow in his relationship with God. 
Um, and so a couple of those that, that, are, that are really, really good, I think, to point this out. Uh, one of those is Psalm 42. Uh, Psalm 42. If you've ever, if you've ever read this, you know um, what, what he's going to say here. Um, verse 1, he says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Right? Um, just, like, just like he says the deer would pant over water, right? To, to be refreshed by water. He said, in the same way my soul is thirsting after God. Um, in Psalm 37, verse 4, he says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Right? If you delight, if you spend your, if you have that joy, if you're seeking after God, He's going to give you those desires, that that thing that your heart is crying out for. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says, "You make me known. Uh, you make t- known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures. Right, forevermore. Uh, and, and 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 this idea is that those things that we're seeking in life." right? Those, those desires, those strong affections, those things that we really, really want in life, right? Those are all, they all find their place in God, in our relationship with God. And so I think before we get too far into this, um, we need to ask the question, what are we hungering for in our life, right? What are those things that, that we hunger and thirst for in our life? And what I've seen in my life as a pretty good indicator are those things that get my time and my attention, right? Those things that I spend a lot of my time and my focus on are the things that have my desire, that have my heart. Those are the things that I hunger for. Those things that I, that I spend hours of my day thinking about, those are the things. Um, one, one guy, one commentator said this. He said, what you hunger for reveals the most about your heart. He says, you can mask your outward performance. Uh, you can churn out Christian lingo and put on a happy face. But you know what you really desire. Right? Um, I think it's easy for us sometimes to walk into a, into a, a church setting or a social gathering somewhere, right? And for us just to put on the smile like, hey, you know what? Jesus is great. Jesus is, is awesome. He's the greatest thing in the world. But we know in our heart of hearts that like we haven't spent time with him that week. We know that our heart hasn't been desiring him and hasn't, hasn't been yearning just to, to spend as much time as we could with him. And so we have to ask ourselves, like, where are our hearts? Right? That's what Jesus is saying. Those that have that hunger and thirst right, for, for righteousness, those are the ones that he's going to talk about um, that are going to be blessed. And so, so what is he saying that they're hungering and thirsting for? For righteousness, right? For righteousness. And this phrase righteousness, I think, probably needs a little bit of explaining because um, it's probably not a phrase that we use a whole lot. I, I don't know how many of you guys, I mean, did anybody use the word righteousness yesterday? Like in their Saturday as you guys were going to graduation parties and hanging out, did anybody throw out the word righteousness at all? <clears throat> probably not. Joe probably did. Used it once. Okay. I used it this morning. I was talking about you. Oh, Okay. Righteous anger is that what's in, no, toward no, that guy. No, your ability to well, share about righteousness and also the gospel. Oh, well, thank you. That was very kind of you, Heather. <laughs> Getting me all thrown off now. Um, so, so needed to say that we probably don't use the word righteousness probably a whole lot in our everyday language, and and we don't really 
maybe even understand it, a very simple definition, right? A very, very baseline, base understanding of the word righteous. The very general means uh, the property of being upright, right? This idea, this quality of being kind of upright, um, in the right position, in the right place. Um, um, and, and there's a few things that we need to understand that righteousness is not, right? Um, so he's not talking about self-righteousness. Um, we're really familiar with that, aren't we? Like, like this holier than thou, like, um, as I look at my life, I realize that I have it all together and I'm going to let you know about it. Like that kind of mentality, right? This isn't what Jesus is saying. He's not saying blessed are the self-righteous. Blessed are those that are made righteous in their own eyes, right? Um, it's really easy, I think, for us to, to kind of put on the lens of God and, and put ourselves in that place and say, you know what? I can, I can list this and this and this and this that I did well this week. Um, and, and so thus I am righteous, right? That I'm good because in my own version and vision of myself that I've done what I need to do, right? That's, that's not what righteousness is. It's not self-righteousness. Um, and in fact, Paul in Romans chapter three, um, talks about this. He talks about this. He says, uh, he says, starting in verse 10, he says, uh, as it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one, right? This idea that, that, that there's nothing within us that is righteous or good. Um, goes back to that first spiritual um, understanding of the, the first beatitude of, of the poor in spirit, right? There's nothing in me that's good. If there's anything good in me, it's only what God has done through me, right? That, that idea, um, which, which, is, which is in strict opposition to this idea of self-righteousness. And so it's not, it's not self-righteousness. Um, and there's also the understanding of um, positional righteousness. Um, so theologians will tell us positional righteousness means in that moment when you put your faith and trust in God, right? When we said, you know what, Jesus, I'm yours. I accept what you did for me, your atonement, your sacrifice, your substitute for my life, right? There is this positional righteousness. As God now looks at me, he doesn't see me as the, the sinner that I am, but he sees me through the lens of his son Jesus, right? And that's a position. My position has changed, right? I've went from, from lost and sinner to now son of God, right? That's a, that's a one-time thing where, where God changes our, our position. Um, but what I believe that Jesus is talking about here is what we would call practical righteousness or maybe progressive righteousness and this is really the righteousness of seeking to be like christ christ likeness for the entirety of our life this is the meditation of our lives seeking to be more and more like christ um, it's it's the understanding that as i live for christ and as christ in my life right i start to take on his righteousness my life starts to look like his life and the more and more time that i spend with him and get to know him and seek after him the more and more i start to 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 look like him in my life um, this is the type of righteousness right um, that that blessed are the, the the those that hunger and thirst to be like christ right? Um, I don't think that he's talking about, maybe he is, I could be completely wrong, but I don't think he's talking about that one time positional, right? Because remember, he's, he's already talked about spiritual brokenness. He's already talking about mourning over those sins. And so I believe what he's doing is giving a description of what a follower looks like. And a follower of Jesus realizes that, yes, there was this moment that I went from death to life, but then there's also this lifetime of following Christ. 
And so blessed are those that hunger and thirst to follow after Jesus, that hunger and thirst to live for Jesus and to walk like Jesus. Uh, this idea of righteousness means to conform to a standard. Um, that's what, that's kind of how a lot of theologians will define righteousness. Um, in fact, it's the very opposite of sin. Sin is defined by missing the mark, and righteousness is defined by hitting the mark. Uh, and that mark we know is Jesus, right? And so the more and more I pursue and follow after him, the more and more my life should look like him. Um, and and there's, there's several places in Scripture that, that kind of lead us in this direction, this understanding of righteousness in our life. Uh, one of those is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. John, John says this, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Right? If we know that Jesus was the model, it's his righteousness right, that we're living for. If we know that he was righteous, then, then those that would, would follow him right, should, should look like that. Those that are, are his should practice the same type of righteousness. And so our lives should come into conformity to the life of Christ. In John chapter 15, uh, this is one of my favorite passages, um, Jesus writes, talking about um, what it looks like to, to abide in him and to be his disciples, right? And in verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciple. Right? There's this idea that if, if you are truly going to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, then there should be this fruit, this conforming to this Christ-likeness in our life. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abided in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We should desire, we should have a desire to follow after Christ, to have his righteousness, to live our lives so that our lives start to look more and more like Jesus. And you know what the great thing about that is? When we're doing that right, it ends us in the very opposite place of self-righteousness. When we're truly pursuing Christ and we're looking like Christ, when someone looks in our life, they don't see us at all, and they see Jesus perfectly. And I think that's, I think that's a beautiful um, measuring mark maybe for us in our lives, is that as, as people look at our lives, right, are they just seeing these good outward things that we're putting on to impress people? Are they truly seeing Jesus in our life? Um, and so do we desire Jesus's righteousness, right? Do we desire to be like Jesus as much as we desire favor from God? Um, do we desire to just know him and to, and to be known by him completely? Or do we just desire what I can get from him? And so practically, right, real practically, what does this look like in our day-to-day -day lives? How should this be lived out in our life? And I think there, there are three there may be more than this, but I came up with three areas that, that maybe this, that this should, should change in our life, that our life should be looking like this standard if we are going to be following him. One is that there should be an increasing desire to be in God's word and to obey that word, right? If we are going to take on Christ's righteousness and his, his like, likelihood and his likeness and we're going to look like Jesus, right? We want to look like Jesus in our lives. Where is the only place that we can go to see that? It's in his word, right? This incredible, incredible story that God had, had, had sent down through humanity, right, to write out. So we have an account of Jesus' life and what it looks like to follow him. 
Um, we should be in the Word. We should be daily going into the Word to fill us up and to satisfy um, our need to grow in Him more and more. Um, we should we should have that strong desire to be in the Word of God and to know the Word of God. Uh, in Psalm chapter twenty-seven, verse four, David says this. He says, "One thing I have asked of the Lord that I uh, that I will seek." After that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, right? This idea of just to be before the Lord. And, and one of the best places that, I can, that I've ever been before the Lord is just when I've been in his word, right? It's, it, it is the only thing I know that transforms you in that way. The more time that you spend in the word of God, the more and more you start to look like Jesus. It's just a natural reaction of that, Right? Um, I was I was having a conversation with uh, with a friend this week, and I was saying that you know I don't I don't ever know a situation I've ever been in with anyone who has said you know what I have just had the most incredible time in the Word of God today I've just grown in the Word of God today I've just I've learned so much from in the Word of God today and I just don't think God exists I just don't think God's real I just I have all these problems and I don't think God's big enough to handle that right I've never been in that situation. I've always been in a situation where, man, I've been in the Word of God today, and it has completely changed my thinking on these things that I didn't think that I could handle, that I thought were too big for me, that I thought was this and that and the other. But, man, I spent time in the Word of God today, and God has just shown me something and just changed my complete perspective on those things. And so do we have a desire, do we have an increasing desire to know the Word of God and to obey the Word of God? I think one of, the, one of the questions we ask ourselves real practically is, where do you go when you have a problem, right? When something big happens in your life, well, not even something big. A lot of times it's the small things, right? Something annoys you. Something bugs you. You've had a, a bad interaction with a coworker that day. You've had a conflict with somebody. Something didn't go your way. Where's the first place that you go, right? If we want to grow and grow in righteousness, we first place should be go to the Word of God, right? That should be the place that we dive into, but I know in my life, a lot of times, where do I go? I go to a friend, right? I go to a to to my spouse, which which are which are good things. Um, maybe maybe even sometimes we go to the internet, right? If we get a problem, we're worried about something, right? We just we we Google it, right? We we, we research it. We try to figure we try to figure out an answer to it, right? But do we just take it to God, right? Do we go to His Word? Do we seek Him day after day after day as as these things arise in our life? Secondly, not only do we increase in, in a desire for God's word, but I think we should also increase um, in our love for the things that God loves and, and to hate the things that God hates, right? If we're going to take on this righteousness, if we're going to start to look more and more like Jesus, then, then we should start to love the things of God, right? The things that God says that he loves, then we should love. And the things that he says that he hates, then we shouldn't want those things in our life, Right? We, we, as we grow in our righteousness and seeking after God, we shouldn't keep desiring the things of the world or these things that we know that God has said are not good for you, right? That will pull your heart away from me. But we should start to desire more and more of those things of God. Psalm uh, 101, verses 3 and 4 says this. Um, he says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the works of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know 
nothing of evil, right? This is, this is the psalm writer's writing. He's just saying, you know what? Those things that God hates, I want to learn to hate those things. I don't want to have those worthless things in my life. And so the more and more we seek after righteousness and to be like Christ, the more and more we should take those things that God hates and we should shove them out of our life and we should bring in the things that God loves, right? We should, we should bring in those things. What is our relationship with sin in our life, right? Do we really hate it? Because I can say in my life that there's a lot of times that I don't really hate sin, right? I, I can, I'm really good at justifying it. I can, really, I can really come up with a lot of good excuses of why it's still there or why I haven't just completely got rid of it, right? It's inconvenient. Um, what are other people going to think? It's, it's not that bad, right? It's really not going to lead me away from the heart of God. But if we truly want to seek after righteousness, as Jesus says here, then we got to get that junk out of our life and start to pursue and seek after those things that God loves. That was second. And then finally, third, there should be a longing to do the will of God, right? There should be a longing to seek after and do what God has called us to do and to be, right? Um, and there's places all over Scripture that, that talks about that. Um, one place that, that uh, one of the verses that came to my mind was in Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. Um, where it says, um, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, right? It's this idea that before I even think about my own stuff, the first thing that I'm going to seek is God and his kingdom and his righteousness, right? His will in my life, his, his desires for my life, not what I want in my life. Um, and the beautiful thing that I've, I've found, and, and again, I'm, I'm I'm still relatively young in this whole following Jesus thing. There are some people that have followed Jesus uh, for, for more years than I've been alive, right? And they can probably speak to this a lot better than I can. But one of the things that I've seen is that the more and more I start to seek and follow Jesus, um, truly, the less and less I start to desire those things. Um, and not that it's perfect and not that there's not days that it's hard, but it becomes less and less of a struggle um, the more and more I seek after him. Um, and I'll be real honest, the hardest part about seeking and, and pursuing righteousness um, in our lives is the fact that I can't do that for you. Um, as, as your pastor, as your shepherd, as the one that God has, has called to, to care for your hearts in that way, this is something that I can't make you do, right? It's, it's, it's not something that I can do for you. It's like, it's like you have to want that in your own heart in your life. Right? I, can, I can hopefully encourage you and point you to Scripture, but this is one of those things that, that, that each one of us has to look at and say, you know what, I want this in my life. Right? I can't want it more for you than you want for yourselves. And that's, that's the hard part. Right? Um, I heard of an uh, analogy one time that uh, Francis Chan used that I thought was really great. He said, you know, I, I, picture, I picture a room of people like this, right? And imagine that the room we were in was filled up with water, right? And it's almost all the way to the top. There's just a little bit of space at the, at the top for us to breathe, right? And we all have life jackets on, right? And so we're all just kind of sitting there and we're just floating in our life jackets, right? And just kind of hanging out, right? And he said, in that moment, as I look at that room and those people that are floating in those life jackets, I can't tell you who can really swim and who can't, right? I can't tell you which one of you guys can swim or which one you can. The only way to know that is if we take the life jacket off, right? And some of you guys will be paddling and other people are going to sink to the bottom. That's the only way to know. And he was going on to say that a lot of times when we get in church gatherings and we get around other Christians, a lot of times we use that as our prop, as our life jacket, right? Okay, yeah, I didn't really get in the word of God for myself today, but, but I went to the church today. So, like, that's kind of cool. So I can kind of feel good and check it off the list, 
right? Uh, yeah, I didn't really spend time in, in prayer today, but, but man, I listened to some Christian music today, and that was really good and uplifting and encouraging, right? We get to a place in our life where we have to start to take ownership of this in our own lives, right? We can't just continually prop ourselves up with church or Christian relationships or other things. We get to a point where we have to hunger and thirst for it. Right, Because what's going to happen, and, and I see this uh, as a youth pastor, I saw this all the time. What happens in, in, in the lives of youth is the same thing that happens in the lives of adults. The longer we go and prop ourselves up on these other things, eventually we're going to realize that those things don't truly satisfy us because we're, we're kind of getting these counterfeit uh, things. They're not really Jesus, but all these other things that are propping us up. And eventually we're going to get to a point where that just isn't enough anymore in our life. And I see it time and time again. I see it as a, as a teenager. They'll come up through a youth group in church, and that youth group becomes their prop. It becomes their place, right? And, and they go, and, it, and there's good teaching there, but they don't ever do, learn to, 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 to spend time with God on their own. They don't ever learn to invest and to pray and to get to know God on their own. And so what happens, right? They get out of that youth group, and they go to college, and what happens? Right? That life jacket comes off, and they sink to the bottom, right? Because they no longer have that prop holding them up. And before we get too hard on the youth, we do the same things, right? We, we get in these situations in our life, and we, we, we go to church, and we get around a certain crowd of people, and, and we feel really good, right? And then something happens, a situation changes, something happens in life, right? And that, and that prop is gone or changes, right? And then we just hit this moment, and we, we don't know how to swim, right? We've never tested out those muscles. We've never spent time longing and desiring to know God in that way. And so... So I hope you hear me this morning, like as, as, as your shepherd this morning, my heart is that you would want that for yourself, not just that I could somehow prop you up another week to get through. But man, if, if you take anything away, just take away the fact that let me just get in the word of God for myself and, and, and start to cultivate a hunger and a desire for that. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, just real practically as, as you get into the word of God, it's, it's kind of like eating healthy. Um, and I know this is kind of crazy, but one thing I've, I've realized in my life is the longer that I've, I've tried to eat healthy, the more I've truly enjoyed the healthy foods. You know, so it's like you start out on a diet day one and you're like, this is the worst. It's like, it's like I'm eating cardboard and hard crunchy things and like there's no flavor and my body just rejects all of that, right? My taste buds are just, this is hard and you know, you're getting all the junk out of your system and you got a headache and all that stuff. But over the course of years of eating a certain way and starting to put healthy nutrients, you start to actually love those things. Like I love, I have a love affection with broccoli. Let me just tell you right now. Like I love broccoli. It's so good. Like if you don't like broccoli, I, I, something's wrong with your taste buds. I love broccoli. But I can tell you that years ago, man, I hated broccoli. It was gross. It was like mushy and gross. And part of that was because I had never had actually well-cooked broccoli, but, but that's another story. But, but your taste buds, they start to change and desire those, those things. Yeah, mom never, broccoli was never big at the house. Um, you do have to think, I didn't think about that illustration before I just said it. And people realize that my mom's here. Um, there were lots of other things that she gave me a good desire for, mashed potatoes and some gravy. Yeah. Um, but the longer that, that I had that, it started to change my taste buds, right? And now, like, that's one of my favorite things to eat is I love I love some good broccoli, right? 
Um, and, and I think it's the same way with the Word of God. Like, the longer that we spend, the more that we, that we devote ourselves to it, the more that we start to love it, and the more we start to see. You know, at first it's hard. And at first it may just mean, you know what, I'm going to be disciplined enough just to read and just to try. And I may not feel like I'm getting a whole lot out of it. I may be hitting these walls, and I'm like, oh, I'm just reading this, but nothing's really coming out to me. You know, I hear somebody on Sunday morning getting up, and they're pulling all of this rich stuff out, but I don't get any of that for myself myself, but I guarantee the longer that we stay in the Word, we stay rooted in that, the more we're going to get a taste and a desire, and we're just going to desire it. So much so to the point in your life that you get to a point in your life that when you miss it, it's like your whole day is thrown off. Like you just, like, what did I do? Like something is missing, right? And I think that's what Jesus wants us. He wants us to so hunger and thirst to be righteous, and, and, and one of the best places we get that is from His Word. So we hunger and we, and we thirst for righteousness. Um, and so this morning, our, our, our story, right, we've been trying to find a story or a place in the, in the, in the scripture, right, that kind of points this out, that, that plays this out. So today, um, we're going to look at, at John chapter 6. Um, and this is, a, this is a point in Jesus' ministry, right? So this is a right after Jesus has fed the 5,000 in John's account, right? Um, and then he goes, um, and, and I'm going to flip there real quick because I want to I read it. Um, but John chapter 6, he, he's fed the 5,000, right? And he, and he had all of this, uh, he was starting to get all this kind of notoriety and, and all this attention. And then there's that, that scene where he, he comes out and he's walking on the water, right? And he just freaks the disciples out. And this is right after that. Um, he, gets, he gets to the other side and he goes out, right? And, and people are looking around. They're like, where did Jesus go, right? We didn't see but one boat go out. Where, where's... And so they start to look for him. Right, and they start to say like, "Where have you been? We we're we're seeking you." And Jesus looks at them. He's like, "You know, honestly, the only reason you're seeking me is because I gave you this food, right? And and you're really just looking where you're going to get your next fix. You're just looking for the next miracle, this next thing that I can give you. That's really why you're coming after me. Um, you're not really seeking after me." Um, and they give him some some excuse about how you know their fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and and then um, in verse thirty. Uh, in verse 30, Jesus, uh, it picks up by them, by them saying that. It says, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? Again, they were just looking for a sign. Uh, what work do you perform? He, they, and they said, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, um, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father who gives you bread uh, gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down uh, from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread. Right? And so they're like, man, just give us this bread. And, 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 and this is what Jesus says back to them. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but to raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Right? Um, I think what we see in this in this um, 
in this picture, in this, in this story uh, that Jesus gives, is they were looking, right? They were looking for, for this miracle, for this tangible kind of physical thing, right? And they were like, when are you going to show us the sign, right? Jesus, when are you going to come to our party and perform for us? When are you going to do your next miracle for us, right? Because if you would only just show me this thing, then I would believe in you, right? And, and, and I know that I do that in my life, right? God, if you would just answer this prayer, like, I, I, would, I would just, if you would just do this one thing, I would put all of my trust in you, right? If you would just do this thing, right? And Jesus, I love his response. He didn't say, I'm going to perform a miracle. I'm going to give you this miraculous bread. He said, I am the miracle, right? I am the solution. I am the bread that you're seeking, right? I am that sign that you're looking for. Because whoever eats of me will never hunger and never thirst again, right? And so I think in our lives, as we look about hungering and thirsting for, for righteousness, I think this is just a, this is a beautiful place that Jesus says, you know what? We need to hunger and thirst for him, right? If he is what we are, our hearts are desiring, right? If he is the one that we are putting our hope and our trust in, right? Then, then ultimately, as he's going to say here, we're going to find satisfaction, satisfaction. That's, that's really the promise he gives in this beatitude. Those that are, that are hunger and thirst for righteousness, there's going to come a day when they will get satisfaction. Right? They will be satisfied. They will be satisfied. And um, as, I was, as I was thinking about um, what does it mean to have this, this satisfaction you know, in, in, in relation to pursuing after, after God and, and knowing him deeply and, and, and seeking after his righteousness, right? As I was thinking about that, I was like, how does, how does that, what does that look like for us today, right? Um, as we've been talking about, um, when, when we get to these Beatitudes, there's, there's almost this idea each week that there's a, there's a present day uh, promise that he gives, and then there's this future completed promise, right? And the future completed promise is pretty obvious, right? There's going to come a day when we get to be with Jesus completely, and we're going to our hearts are going to find complete satisfaction because we're going to be with Him, right? And those things that we're longing for right now um, to be like Christ, to be with Christ, those things are going to all be satisfied because we'll be with Him. But I also think that there's also a present understanding, a present practical application of this promise as well. For those that would hunger and seek after righteousness, you're going to find that in this life, right? If you truly seek after Jesus, there's going to come a satisfaction that we're going to find. Um, and that's huge. We were talking about in our life group um, on Thursday night, we were talking about how how when you look at our world and you look at the most rich and influential people in our world, Almost every single one of them, when you look at their life, there's something that they're not satisfied with. They're still seeking for the next thing in life, right? They can have millions of dollars. They can have hundreds of thousands of, of followers and people that are just singing praises to them about how great they are at things, but yet they're still seeking after something else. They're not satisfied. And when we hunger and thirst after Jesus, our hearts finds the satisfaction that it needs. Um, and as I thought about what that looked like, uh, my mind just went straight to, to something that John Piper has hit on for years. Uh, and that's this idea of Christian hedonism. And, and some of you guys, that may be a new phrase for you. Some of you guys are like, yes, I've, I've, if, if you've ever listened to anything that John Piper said, he's probably brought this up in some form or fashion, um, right? And, 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 and it's a, that actually, as I was looking at this week, this actually isn't even John Piper's idea. Um, he's just kind of made it popular. This is, this is a thought for, for many uh, many, many years before John Piper even came onto the scene. But Christian hedonism um, really is this understanding that 
Um, as, as John Piper says it, and, and I think is, is helpful, he said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And it's this idea of if we're truly seeking to bring God glory in our lives, which is what we should be doing as, as Christians, as followers, the way that he gets that, receives most of that, is when we are actually absolutely satisfied in him. When it's not God plus anything else, but it's God alone is all that we need in our life, right? When we get to that place, when we're hungering and seeking righteousness to the point that if I just have Jesus, that's all that I need, right? I don't need money. I don't need fame. I don't need popularity. I don't need any of this stuff. If I just have Jesus, that's all that I need. That is when God gets the most glory from our lives, right? And consequently, it, consequently it lines up because that's when we're most satisfied, Right? When, when we stop seeking after these things that only fix us temporarily and then leave us in, in a worse condition than we were when we started, right? When, when we put all that aside and when we seek the one thing, the, the, the bread of life, the eternal water, the, 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 the God that created us, right? When we seek after that and we find him, we're truly satisfied. We're truly satisfied says that, um, talking about this idea of Christian hedonism, it says it's the conviction that God's ultimate goal in our world is his glory, and our deepest desire is to be happy or to be fulfilled, right, are one in the same. And I love that idea, right? It's, it's, it's like when I pursue God hard with everything that I have, that ultimately that thing that I'm looking for, like that's the answer to it, right? That's when I'm going to be most satisfied in my life. And so there's this idea of, of, of just seeking God hard with our lives and pursuing, right? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and we will be satisfied. We will be satisfied. Um, and as we look at our lives and what that looks like, right, we, sometimes we got to think about there's some changes that sometimes need to happen in our life, right? There are things that we pursue after that we need to change. Uh, and, and I was reading about a story this week that... Um, I think it's true, uh, as far as I know. It's, it was on the internet, so right, it has to be true for the most part. Uh, but I was reading about this story this week um, that I, I feel like paints the picture really well for this. Um, and, and, and again, I don't, I don't know, maybe some of you guys may be like, oh, that's, that's really not, not true, but I'm going to go with it until somebody corrects me, right? Um, but there was, uh, there was this point where there were these engineers, right? And they were looking at the Chicago River, okay? I don't know if you guys have ever been to Chicago River. Uh, some of you guys have. I, I never have, but... Um, so what they realized, though, is as they looked at this, they realized that the, the Chicago River at this point in time was actually a pretty nasty river. It, it wasn't really a healthy river. It wasn't flowing well. Um, and what the engineers came up with is they said, if we could just figure out, if we could just reverse the flow of the river, right? If we could reverse the flow of the river, the power and the, and the resources of Lake Michigan then would flow through it. Um, and the waters um, would, would then provide fresh and clean water to this river. Um, and so that's what they did. The engineers actually came up with a plan and they reversed the Chicago River so that today it is the only river in all the Great Lakes system that receives its water from the lake. And because of this, the river is clean and strong and never lacking for a source, unlike some of these other rivers that draw from lesser and more unreliable sources uh, of water. And I think, unfortunately, for us a lot of times, 
our lives are kind of like the Chicago River was before these engineers came and reversed it, right? We're trying to find all the things that we need from these lesser sources, right? And some of those are good things in our lives, right? Like family and friends, like those are good things. But when we start to pursue those to fill the needs that we have um, of God in our life, they're never going to meet that need, right? Um, it was, uh, I think it was uh, Descartes, one of the old uh, philosophers that said that we all have a God-shaped hole or vacuum in our souls, right? And it's the idea that there's, a, there's something missing in us, and we're only going to find, there's only one thing that fits that, and that's God. And we can try to shove all kinds of other things in there, but until we put God in that place, in that void, in that vacuum in our heart, we're never going to truly be satisfied, Right? But if we, could, if we could just reverse our source, right, and we can start to hunger and pursue after righteousness and after God, um, just like the Chicago River, I think we're going to become a, a clean, flowing, healthy river in our lives. Um, and, so, and so I think as we look at that, we need to ask, like, what is our source? I'm going to go back to a question I asked earlier. What is our source of satisfaction in life? What are those things that bring joy and completeness and contentment in our lives? Psalm 63. And... Um, as, as you read that, ask, okay, one, what is, what is David saying here in this text? Like, what is David's desire to seek after God? What are, you, what are you hearing as you read that? But then secondly, is that my desire, right? Have that discussion of, like, where does my life need to change, maybe? Um, if, if this isn't my heartbeat, where does my life need to, to direct so that it is my heartbeat, okay? And then after, um, so we'll have a few minutes to do that. And when we get done with that, um, I want us to move into a time of, um, of the Lord's Supper together. Um, just, as, just as Jesus says, those that are hunger and thirst for righteousness, I think the picture of, of just receiving the Lord's Supper together is that picture of that satisfaction of that, right? The, the hunger being, being the body that was broken for us, right? So as we take that and we think about Christ in our life, um, we'll think about how he satisfies that hunger that we have in our hearts and in our lives. And as we, and as we, as we take the juice, right, or, or the wine, we, we think about how his blood was the satisfaction right for that thirst that we have in our life um so we'll discuss this for a few minutes um and then i'll bring us back together real quickly and then we'll uh we'll kind of do the lord's supper but i just want to kind of give you guys an outline so if you want to go ahead and move in some circles and some groups um and and read through psalm 63 together uh and then we'll we'll get ready to do communion